Welcome to the Das Radicals podcast. This is not enough. We are African millennials getting together to discuss our lives and experiences as expats living in the UK. What's your name? I am Noma Jean. I used to go by Billy Jean, and I'm still not your average. Just your name. I am Ranting Ria. Mm. I'm sometimes random, and I still have a lot to complain about. Still have a lot to complain about. Welcome to the Das Radicals podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Das Radicals podcast. Hello. As usual, it's me, Norma Jean, and Ria. Hey, Ria. Hey, Norma Jean. How's it going? Good. The weather is starting to look up, so there's no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. We've been bringing you guys special guest after special guest, and today we're so honored to have with us a very accomplished novelist. Who has letters before and after her name? Parents must be proud. <laughs> yep, another guest with a PhD and a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. She has a Betty Trask Award under her belt for a book you should have in your bookshelf, The Spider King's Daughter. Another book you should also have in your bookshelf. Welcome to Lagos. If you don't have them, that's a problem that you can Go fix today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So get you some copies everywhere good books are sold. Listeners, please welcome the one and only Chibundu Onuzo, Doctor. <laughs> welcome to the Dennis Practicals podcast. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Mm. I am part of the African diaspora. I don't know if I'm radical. How radical am I? You can tell me uh, by so, the end. So it's a loose definition of radical. The radical <laughs> is really about... Your experience changes you, right? You're mm-hmm. not necessarily who you were before in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's, so it's a very loose definition of radical. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we're not radicalized. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On most topics, I'd say. <laughs> okay, Rhea doesn't agree. Okay, we have one Thomas Sankara in the corner. Mm-hmm. And- God, you just made my day. <laughs> She's a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Oh, cool. I remember you being like super brilliant and witty um, a host at TEDx Houston a few years ago. I was in attendance. What have you been up to since? What have I been up to? Well, I have a new book coming up, Sankofa, which we're obviously going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I co-wrote and co-produced a short film, which is yeah. called The Lapo is Fine, which is available to watch on Netflix. I was going to say, that mm-hmm. sounds very familiar. I think you I watch have it? watched it. Yes. Oh, nice. Hey. I have, because I, I was nice. like, huh? You? Oh my God, it's you. It <laughs> is me. It is I. Be yes. excited, madame. <laughs> so yes, it was based on a short story that I wrote and then we got funding to make the film from Bumble and yeah then it just kept going you know I remember at the beginning they were like oh short films you know you just do it and you see how it goes and then it went really far it was it's on Netflix um which is unusual for a short film mm. it was nominated for a BAFTA um yeah it was the little wow. thing that could so that was fun actually just to see it keep going wow. that is amazing um what else have I been doing? I lectured at Sewas for a year, then mm-hmm. I stopped. And yeah. what else have I been doing? Yeah, you're I've a busy been... lady, achieving things. <laughs> you know what? They they do say it's an amazing thing if you lose track of the list of the things you've been doing. That means you're doing something. 
Mm. everything mm. so that's that's always a good sign i'd say okay well i mean i'm going to tesco i'm going to sainsbury's there as well <laughs> <laughs> i've lost track of those ones too <laughs> how's the pandemic been for you um so the first half um was i went to stay with my sister so it, mm-hmm. it sort of felt it to be like a holiday they live outside london mm. then i came home because i was enjoying myself but i couldn't get a lot of work done yeah because i have like nieces and nephews and stuff like that so that was right. fun um so i came home and i think yeah i sort of had to like adjust to i, I mean i'm used to living alone but it's sort of more the no social life you know seeing friends mm-hmm. sort of trying to make sure like i build a routine slash schedule because I, I didn't really like all this socializing on zoom mm. um, so sort of yeah. being intentional about calling people making sure like i leave the house get some exercise go on runs mm. Um, this year in the olden days you didn't used to need to do much to just mm-hmm. be active just walk to the bus stop get the bus this is that and the other and you're sort of out and about but um yeah this pandemic you're like yeah. wow, it's friday <laughs> i have a house <laughs> i mean it's like we i feel like the last year it can be a write-off we didn't enjoy our birthdays we gained what what did they say 12 to 13 kilograms gained like on average people gain the average. the average average so if you're below that you can tap yourself on the okay, back okay then then I, I i won't feel bad okay. don't yeah. feel bad <laughs> <laughs> it's been rough it's been the first time in my life where i've gained weight like i have seen it physically mm. um so uh, it's a uh, adjustment <laughs> it really is yeah so we've been thoroughly enjoying um, your latest novel, Sankofa, um, which is out on the 3rd of June when this episode comes out. So we'll do our best not to talk about spoilers today, um, mm-hmm. but we definitely want our listeners to grab a copy or two or three or four or five, give mm-hmm. everybody in your family. You know how mm-hmm. it is. Sharing is caring. Exactly. <laughs> not, not even sharing. I think this would be a really good gift because, you know, it's actually Norma Jean who got me into the idea of giving books as gifts. And... Basically, you know what? Get the all three books, you know? Buy all three books. Yeah. And give pack. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the book really, like, captures some of the themes that we discuss in this podcast. Um, so in, it follows this mixed-race woman, British woman. She's looking for a dad who's from a fictional West African country called Bamana. Am I saying mm-hmm. it right? You Well, to be honest, mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fake our pronunciation, you know, because reading the book is different from hearing the actual <laughs> words, but you'll correct us as we go. So could you tell us a bit about the inspiration behind this work? Okay, so Anna is in her sort of late 40s and she discovers her father's diaries. So she's mixed race. Her mom is Welsh, white Welsh, and her father came over as a student in sort of the late 60s, early 70s, met her mother, had an affair with her and then went back home and was never seen or heard from again. Now, that story was a story that I actually met people who had a similar story. So the man who the book is dedicated to, Joseph Harker, he had a similar story. His father came over as a student as well, but from Nigeria. So there are actually quite a few people with stories like this. Then I was also doing my PhD research on a group called the West African Students' Union, which was based in Camden Town and had a lot of African students coming over. And so it was sort of like, I was looking at the politics of their lives, 
But then I also met people who were, I guess, the offspring of the personal aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. The story sort of came together from that. Mm. I wanted Anna to discover her father as her father, Mm. um, but also sort of the political weight that he had, because I was thinking about a lot of those ideas from my PhD. Um, So yeah, sort of marrying the personal and the political in, in this story. Yeah. That was really cool. You know, the way they always tell us about not judging a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actual books, I personally think com- covers are important. Mm-hmm. And this one happens to be really, really gorgeous. So we are able to see it, listeners. Definitely look it up as you know, as you're listening to the podcast. Maybe you'll even recognize what's on the cover. So it's mm-hmm. like a tealish, greenish color, yellow, like a red salmon color. And then it's got mm-hmm. this bird what looks like a bird and it has its head like turned back yeah. its face it's the rest of its body facing forward mm-hmm. it's a sankofa bird mm-hmm. and it's holding um what looks like an egg in its beak mm-hmm. um so sankofa is Ghanaian tree yeah i think is it tree is it a tree word i think it's true i mean i, I think that's how you say, say it. i generally mm. say akan I can. Um, okay. I say, I mean, I'm not Ghanaian, but I say I can because you have mm. the concept of Sankofa outside of, of mm. Ghana. So you right. have people who, because the, the Akan group is like the umbrella term, but quite uh-huh. a few different sort of like, um, a few different sort of tribal groups, ethnic peoples. Um, yes, and sort yeah. of peoples. Um, yeah. So in Ivory Coast, for example, you have the oh. concept of Sankofa as well, because you have people from the Akan group in, in Ivory Coast. But yes, it's, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. We're learning, hey? We're learning. Mm-hmm. Look at that. E- educational aspect. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, what's behind the title um, and the story behind the cover as well? Just a little history. I think, Ria, you also know a little bit about the bird, don't you? Well, um, so I know about, the, I learned actually about the bird uh, sometime last year in probably the most unusual setting. Um, it was during Black Birders Week. I don't know if you've heard of that. That was going on on Twitter. So Black people who work with birds and everything. And someone presented this bird and said, you know what, this is a fictional bird, but um, the meaning of it is so, so great. And uh, I absolutely loved the meaning because they were talking about it, looking back. And I heard of a proverb that said, it is not taboo to go back and fetch that which you have forgotten. Mm. Mm. Um, right so that's what it means to me i don't know what about you guys yeah chibundu tell us a bit about it yeah i think it means literally go back and get it mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. sort of like um yeah this concept of not forgetting what's in your past while still moving forward mm. um the concept of sankofa is also symbolized by this sort of mythical bird and so that's what the character sort of Anna is trying to do. She's trying to move forward in her life, but she also needs to go back and understand where she's from, understand who her father is. Um, mm. So, yeah. Nice. I think it's quite cool because, like, even in on the cover, the bird itself is looking backward. Mm-hmm. And the egg is a symbol of a beginning or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. life. So, so, so I think just the cover says a lot within itself. Yeah. yeah. Really good. So it's set in Bamana mm-hmm. and also in England, where mm-hmm. we happen to be. So you're a Nigerian and also lived and studied in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of like straddling these two different worlds. At the same time, the book is 
both real and fictional, you know, set in the real and the fictional. Where do you feel like you're pulling from when you're writing for this novel? Like how much did you say was from the world you know mm -hmm. and then the world you imagined and conjured in your head? I chose the name Bamana. So Bamana is a real place. It's a sort of pre-colonial African kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, Ghana, the real Ghana, mm -hmm. is also named after a pre-colonial African kingdom. So Ghana used to be called mm -hmm. the Coast. And then, you know, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah came along and chose the name of Ghana um, to sort of like connect. But where ancient Ghana was is not where present day Ghana is now. So he was sort of inspired by this sort of pre-colonial African kingdom. And so I did the same for my fictional country, formerly known as Diamond Coast. Um, and then I chose a real pre-colonial African kingdom oh, to that. give its name. Yeah. Nice. So one of the major themes in the book is identity. We talk mm -hmm. about this a lot. Like we've got a series of podcast episodes about identity. So this fits in really, really well. So Anna was going through it. <laughs> she was going through some things. Um, and then, you know, she goes looking for her dad. So she's a protagonist and her experiences are, are racialized. Yeah. And sometimes she's excluded. She doesn't even sometimes have a sense of belonging. Um, at one point, her mom is like, you're sensitive for bringing up that people were staring at you for looking mm. the way you look. Um, in the streets of Segu, which I think is a city in mm -hmm. Bamana, she's called Obroni, which mm -hmm. you can guess what that means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> her dad at some point says, but you're not white. Um, she at some, some point calls herself black and then also refers to herself as, oh, but I'm Obroni, I'm white. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated. Mm. So what are your thoughts on like this racialized identity and this need for belonging? What role do we as diaspora, people in the diaspora, Africans in the diaspora, have to play in this conversation? Um, so I think for all of us, it's, it's just a natural human thing. You want to belong somewhere. You want to feel like this is where I'm from. This is where my identity can't be challenged because it's told in the first person. So there's no one else that can tell this to her. But I think, you know, because she comes to, in England, you know, people look at her and, you know, her mom is white, her grandparents is white, her auntie is white, her husband is white, her daughter looks white, but in England, she's not white. You know, and then she comes to, you know, Bamana, she comes to West Africa and everyone is calling her an Obroni. Mm. But I think, you know, if I, I could meet her, I would tell her that. I mean, they're calling you an Obroni because you're mixed race. Mm. But even if you were, both your parents were black, for example, once people heard you speak with a British accent, yeah. they might also still call you Anna Bruni. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, don't feel too bad. This is in, in an African context, it's not just, it's that not just racial. That is so true. That is so it's true. It's not just racial. Because the thing is, you know, race is a little bit different in an African context than mm -hmm. it is here. So sometimes when you say somebody is behaving in Nigeria, we use the term Oyibo. It's yeah. not just, it's about, it's also cultural. It's also, or if you want, if you are eating certain food, mm -hmm. if you eat food and exactly. you don't eat, if you eat with a fork and knife, and, fork you don't and, eat, and, yes, and then you exactly. don't eat with your hand. You eat with your hand, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, in both person, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I can share that experience. I mean, the last few times I've gone home, I think I've lived in the UK long enough for my accent to change and for mm -hmm. people back home to sense that, mm -hmm you know, difference. So in East Africa, our word for it is Muzungu. Mm -hmm. So the number of times I've been in the market and been called Muzungu, <laughs> I've just learned to keep my mouth shut. So what I do mm -hmm. is I go with my cousins to the market, you know, and just wait <laughs> at what I want and say that. They do all the talking. Yeah, they do yeah. all the talking. Because if I open my mouth, 
that price is going to shoot. Up, <laughs> you know? So you I get the Muzungu tax. Oh, Muzungu tax. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> so so I completely identify with that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have uh, mine is a mishmash of accents, and I code switch so much that. If you listen to me throughout the day, I have been five different people mm-hmm. based on my accent, mm-hmm. you know? I am adjusting. On this podcast alone, people have heard my accent changing all the time. So I definitely understand the the caution mm-hmm. <laughs> when you, depending on who you're talking to, you know? Yeah. Um, and something else that I thought was interesting is even though I can relate to a lot of her experiences, on the other hand, I am unambiguously Black. You know, that white that she has, it gives her some things that I cannot get mm-hmm. and do not get. Mm-hmm. When, you know, like when she's getting her hair done, they're talking about good hair and half cast mm-hmm, hair, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Mine doesn't do those things, <laughs> you know? And it, since I don't do the creamy crack anymore, you know, I cannot uh, escape that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then you know, there's also the, the someone who's expecting her to help rescue this child mm-hmm. because... You have access to some things mm-hmm. that the rest of us don't have mm-hmm. access to, you know? Mm-hmm. And this idea of the white savior as well. I, I was going to say that it's that assumed mm. white savior, not complex, mm. but identity or putting her in that box. I mean, mm. I really loved all these different aspects that, you know, you brought to her personality, Chibundu, because I think you captured a lot of stories and experiences i've heard from a lot of my mixed race friends mm. yeah yeah I think Anna's position is interesting because you know so people talk about light skin privilege and you know sort of mixed race privilege etc etc but i think you only really experience mixed race privilege if you're put in a context with other black people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so anna is raised with white people mm-hmm. so there's no other black person who is darker skinned than her for her to be more privileged than than exactly, exactly. you know so her, as, you know, her mother is white her, mm. her grandfather is white her auntie mm. is white she's raised in a white neighborhood so as a child She's just treated like any other black person. So I think mm. the context of sort of light skin privilege is that you have to be in a context where you're lighter skin mm-hmm. than someone else. But if you're a exactly. darkest, darkest skin mm. person, then, you know, mm-hmm. you're just treated like every other black person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think actually, maybe the first time she, because she doesn't feel that her light skin gives her any privilege in the context that she's been raised in mm-hmm. because she's been raised surrounded by surrounded by white people so it's a big shock for her when she exactly finally... so sort of when she mm. goes um to um bamana and you know they're saying oh i like you know quote unquote half cast hair and like this phrase is being used as a compliment because in a nigerian context often it's, mm-hmm. it's complimentary sometimes people are like, mm. using it in a complimentary way as opposed to a derogatory way so she's mm. sort of like oh okay um yes it's um so she's discovering this this new privilege whereas on the flip side being mixed in let's say england you know at the time when the book is set in her early years would have probably been condescending Mm. would you say i think it's more being mixed in a community that is predominantly white Mm. i mean and you see sort of caribbean people talk about this as well they do have so like for example if she'd been raised in brixton Mm amongst other sort of Caribbeans, other Black people, then perhaps she might have had some light skin privilege in that context, but she wasn't. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. 
Yes, how upbringing yeah. is is different. Yeah. yeah, and on the other side, we've got the, you know there's some white people in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see how them in mm-hmm. in Europe they're just white mm-hmm. men. In Africa, they continue to white mm-hmm. men. Like for them, it's mm-hmm. just the same experience sometimes even better when you're in africa because now you're yes, not exactly. you're not just a regular mm-hmm. white man you are above mm-hmm. you know like royalty um, exactly uh you know it's it's, mm-hmm. it's complicated it is, it is. <laughs> yeah and you know it's complicated and i can understand like where i guess the pain comes from if you are someone who's trying to find you know somewhere you can belong mm-hmm. her father mm-hmm. who was like a broke student in england <laughs> broke student life <laughs> then he becomes mm-hmm. like the most powerful person in his home country mm-hmm. a liberator a freedom fighter a hero mm-hmm. it just made me think about how we look at mm-hmm. our african dictators slash heroes mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the ones who freed us from colonial mm-hmm. rule but then their legacies are not mm-hmm. they're not necessarily heroes you know it gets complicated again you know what i feel like oh i have so much to say about this i have so much to say (laughs) but before that maybe we take a little break yeah refresh and get into this part or this aspect of the book all right cool conversation so far and just before we went on break we were going into the politics of the situation and Anna's dad who somehow wiggled his way through student life into let's say under the political umbrella Mm -hmm. yeah so this this guy this guy though is a special one he was in the bushes (laughs) like a gorilla (laughs) (laughs) gorilla style so he didn't he didn't finish his studies. Uh-huh. He had to go back, you know, there's some stuff happening in the family. Because when he was in the UK, he was hanging out with lefties, the black lefty movement, the very revolutionary minded, you know, these people, you know, who comes in your brain, especially around the time, that was the 70s, was it the 70s? Uh-huh. Yeah, the people who come to mind. And then he moves back. And then he, I guess, brings some of these ideas with him. And then uh-huh. now he fights for freedom. And he becomes the prime minister. Um, and you know, I, it reminds me of a few people in, you know, that we mm. were very familiar yeah. with the Mugabe's mm-hmm. of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Mugabe yeah. isn't here anymore. <laughs> I keep forgetting that. <laughs> you know, I was so used to this guy. We used to joke that he'll never die. Mm-hmm. And when he did, I was so confused. Cause I was like, how's the joke going to continue? I, it's funny. I have to remind myself Mugabe is gone. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's Big shock. True. They have complicated legacies. There are some people who really mm-hmm. like support them and say they did all these amazing things. On the other hand, mm-hmm. he's a d- dictator. He feeds people to crocodiles. He does this. He does this. So, like all these stories, the mythology around these African leaders. So, so, so which makes me question, um, Chibundu, did you have mm-hmm. anyone in mind who you modeled this character on? 
Well, first of all, it's not legal to have anybody in mind. You know, at the beginning, <laughs> these characters are not based on anybody. Um, so I didn't have anyone in particular in mind. And this is why I made this a fictional African country. Because it could be any post-independent African country. Sure. So no, that's one dead hope that you know these people came and said we are going to lead you to the promised land mm-hmm. and you know like the promised land ended up being like a swiss bank account mm-hmm. in, in, in <laughs> Court, Geneva. Mm-hmm. um and so even in the country of bamana i do little things like so i feel like it's like um it's like an inside joke that if you miss it it doesn't matter mm-hmm. but if you notice it it adds something mm-hmm. to the experience so i have many words that are not Ghanaian. Mm-hmm. so i have some nigerian words in in the culture of Bamana, yeah. I have some South African words. So, for example, I say something like when Francis Agri or sort of Kofi Ajay was in the bush, he eats something called a Mopani worm. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. exactly. That's from Southern exactly. Africa. Mm-hmm. So, I have just a couple of things like that sort of sort of threaded through to show that this could be anywhere. Okay. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. nominally set in West Africa, but you know, we, most of us who are African, we have the stories of the first leader, the great mm-hmm. leader that promised all these things. Mm. And most often than not, they didn't. I mean, sometimes what they did was they left a vision. At least they left something for us to aspire to. So even if they didn't, they didn't make it, then hopefully another generation will arise, mm. you know, that will. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 I felt that as well, because, you know, by looking at this character's journey, mm-hmm. life in England as a student, mm-hmm. I think it was an extra layer, basically living with the colonizer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, like we were saying, a lot of, you know, these post-colonial leaders across Africa had that first-hand experience of, you know, just facing that racism. I mean, mm. earlier in the book, you described how he would just be asking for directions and get called mm-hmm. the N-word. Mm-hmm. That was quite deep. And that is honestly one of the biggest recipes for the making of let's say an african liberationist mm-hmm. i think i mean i don't know if you guys get where yeah. i'm yeah. going with this yeah and i mean there's the settler colonial thing happening you know what's happening at home what they did what the history was and then now you're going to get your education or whatever which is often the case a lot of the african leaders have been known to you know have their education elsewhere right mostly in Mm -hmm. Europe and the States, et cetera. So they're usually very educated. So they've experienced that life living with Mzungus or what do you call them in Setswana? Baswe, that's what we call them in that side of the world. Um, Yeah, hey, I know all the versions. I know all the words. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I moved to the UK, living with white people for the first time, Mm -hmm. I was just like, Oh, like I also had to deal with like my own inferiority complex, mm-hmm. being surprised that they're dirty, <laughs> they don't wash their legs, you know, stuff like that. I'm just like, wait, so why do we hold them on a pedestal? Mm-hmm. Why are we doing that? So, I mean, I had to deal with that stuff. I'm, you know, I'm over it, but I had to be frank with myself that I have some issues as well. I've internalized some of these ideas. That's very true. And yeah. I think. I hadn't realized this of how internalized it was until I recently got on the phone with an old friend who I hadn't spoken to for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And she was so shocked to hear my voice. 
I mean, we've been chatting by text and stuff, but she was so shocked and she's like, it seems like the longer you've been living in the UK, actually the more African your accent has become. <laughs> and I'm like, because I don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care anymore. You know, about code switching and putting on that. Mm-hmm. Making oh. it comfortable. Right, making know, sure people yeah, can making understand other you. people comfortable. Yeah. And mm. I hadn't realized that, yeah. but then it took someone who hadn't listened to me for over five years to say, wow, this is drastic. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So that was an interesting realization. Yeah, you witness the humanity of white people when you're living in their land and you're just like, oh, they're just regular. They're just regular. Mm. And so I guess, you know, I can imagine how that can inspire you going back home and saying, we can do this too. We can also do stuff. Mm. They're not special. They're not above us. We've seen them. I think also, yes. And there's a lot of research to show this actually, what you mentioned, what you alluded to, Rhea, that when students came here and witnessed racism, and especially in colonies where you do not have white settlers, a lot of the time you didn't really interact with that many sort of white people socially, et cetera, et cetera. They, I mean, depending on the district you grew up in, there might be one district officer for like 10,000 Africans or something. So you didn't really get to like sort of experience living with white people socially. So to come to England and sort of have all those um, sort of racist experiences, I mean, some historians believe that definitely contributed to the nationalist fervor Mm. um, Mm -hmm. that sort of took place in this context um yeah yeah it's deep it's deep so how did this affect life in bamana i mean he goes back with this revolutionist mentality right Mm -hmm. and now he's meeting his daughter and i don't know how would you say he was imparting that spirit (laughs) trying to impart that spirit onto her no, in fact, I don't think he's trying to impress on to. I think, in a way, you know, he's lost it. Mm. And I think that's what I... It's so funny, like, you know, what would um, Mugabe at 80... What would he... If he could meet Mugabe at 40 and Mugabe at 30, mm. like, you know, mm. how, would they, how would they look at each other? And in a way, sort of, Anna is the person who is is coming with this Francis slash Kofi from the mm. past to say, mm. look at who you've become mm. and look at who you were. Yeah. Um, mm. And you see, for so many African leaders, I wonder, because it's sort of like, even, and I mean, and I look at it in in Ghana as well, because, you know, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, sort of an inspiration to many, sort of his ideas were very powerful. The legacy of his ideas, very powerful, very visionary. But at the end of his 10 years as a prime minister, so, you know, Ayikwe Ama sort of documents in the beautiful ones are not yet born. Mm-hmm. I love that phrase, yeah. Sort of the feeling in Ghana by the time Kwame Nkrumah had been there for a decade versus the feeling in, in Ghana at the start where there was so much optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, yeah, for most post-independence, post-independence leaders, is that sort of, especially the ones that stayed for 30 years, 40 years, mm. that, that long overstayed their welcome. Mm. If they could meet their younger selves, you know, what would they have to say to each other? Yeah. Um, I love, so I think, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I was going to say, I love how Anna, how you bring this about in the book where she's experiencing her dad in these different ways. Mm-hmm. His diary back in the day when he was young and 
hang around these lefties and revolutionaries. And she likes that version of him, or at mm-hmm. least admired him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she sees these newspaper clippings of him and how he becomes this freedom fighter. And then she then kind of despises him a bit, like that side of him. She's like, you shouldn't be hanging out with these people. You shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. In her head, she's got like these two ideas of him. Mm-hmm. And he even drops like his the English or whatever parts of his name, right? And he keeps... Mm-hmm. So she's there's like that version of him that she prefers mm-hmm. compared to the other one. So I really love how that you bring that out in the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> and then when she experiences him now later, for real, and she gets starts to get to know him. And also she kind of gets to see different facets of him. And then mm-hmm. she's like, wait, that thing that I didn't really think you were, maybe you are that, the mm. thing that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Also at the same time, dad, show me this side of you that I know you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I, I really love that you use that device. Um, yeah, and it, it had me questioning. I mean, uh, is this a result of her upbringing amongst mm-hmm. generally white society, and has that affected her views and outlook on you know that let's say revolutionism and revolution mentality? Mm-hmm. Those blacks over there who are political. <laughs> Because yeah. I've, I mean, I feel like I've seen that in my close relationships I've had with white people. They're those who don't want me to talk about this stuff at all. Mm-hmm. They don't want me to talk about racism. They don't want me to talk about the stuff that makes them uncomfortable. It's like, don't worry about those things. Like, focus on other mm-hmm. things that you can actually do something about. Which mm-hmm. I understand the sense behind that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like ignoring a part of my experience. No, it's pretty much, I feel also like how, let's say, a white person in, you know, in America would... I don't know about now, but maybe in the past we'd feel just at the mention of Black Panther. You know, there's this, oh, don't say that. Let's not go there. Oh, don't dare. You know, it's it's that, like, I don't know, is it the image of extremism or extremist behavior, mm. almost? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, I mean, I think, sorry, Scott, you're finished. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's okay, please, go on. I think Anna would have been more comfortable if her father had been a freedom fighter in the vein of a, you know, and obviously Nelson Mandela actually was he was in prison because <laughs> actually he was he was radical and then sort of mm. imprisoned and then sort of came out with a more sort of peaceful demeanor. So maybe her father would have she would have been more comfortable with a more Martin Luther King sort of person who was saying mm. let's yeah. march for mm-hmm. this, let's mm. sort of peacefully protest, you know, whereas he was like. No, we're kidnapping sort of mine owners, yeah, mine Malcolm workers. X exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Malcolm X approach. Right? Mm. I think to an extent, and I don't, I don't think it's just a, a white, white or black thing. I think generally, when you live in the West, you're you become more because you know society when you look out of your window is is relatively peaceful. You're not, um, you become less comfortable with individual citizens taking up violence against the state, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though they feel this is justified, even though they yeah. feel the state has taken up violence against them etc any sort of confrontational behavior really well confrontational in that if you think a march is confrontational or if you think like you know a naked protest is confrontational okay that's (laughs) all that sort of stuff okay we're here for that but like you know if you suddenly sort of take up arms and Mm. start beating you know the police or like Mm. you know smashing windows here and there i think most most people in this context are I sort yeah. of not him. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not, not comfortable with that. And I think, I mean, I would say I'm, I'm sort of the same. You know, I'm happy to go on in March, but if someone said, okay, let's set fire to this place, I'm like, no, mm, no. I'm turning back. I'm going home. <laughs> exactly, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going home. Um, so um, I think sort of that sort of Anna's um, yeah, yeah reaction to that person's yeah. life. 
um, something that I just kind of wanted to go back to because we're talking about Mugabe as an example. Um, it's it's interesting to me that when you do, if you try to just be an anthropologist and take whatever emotions mm -hmm. and stuff out of it, and you look at, for example, Winston Churchill, who you know is is seen as a hero, you criticize mm -hmm. him in the UK, you'll be in hot water in five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. though factually he oversaw atrocities in, in mm -hmm. the concentration camps in Kenya. He believed that land in, in Africa belonged to the white settlers, mm -hmm. you know? And it's hard for people who are born and bred here to reconcile that he had both. Mm -hmm. he, he's the same person. This hero is also the guy who did these things. So you just mm -hmm. choose which, which delusion you're going to go with. <laughs> you pick one, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's easier for people in the UK because the violence wasn't done here. Yeah. So they didn't have to, quote unquote, see it. They just got the, the benefits from it. They just got the wealth from it. But, you know, so even going back to sort of the British contribution to slavery, the plantations mm. were not here. Mm. The plantations were in the Caribbean. They, they were yeah. fine. So they didn't have... Yeah, so it was easier to disconnect. Yes, exactly. You know? Easier for people to say, I, have, I don't have anything to do with that. Whereas in, in an American context, it's more difficult mm. to deny because it's like, it's there, okay? The plantations... It's like you see, turn left at the mango tree. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. it's, also, it's there. You know, so it's more difficult to sweep under the carpet. And it's the same with sort of colonial violence, sort of, yeah. you know, the average British person. So what do I have to do with sort of settlers in Kenya? You know, I didn't, I wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> there, you know. You know. Um, yeah. yeah, totally get it. Uh, something that I thought was interesting is uh, where they go to visit these slave forts, mm -hmm. much like they have the slave ports around East and West Africa. We have all these, mm -hmm. you know, these passages of no return. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's like American tourists there, African-American mm -hmm. tourists mm -hmm. who are former slaves of that particular nation. And they're visiting. And now they're having this strong emotional reaction. They're mm -hmm. crying, they're singing songs. In contrast to local tourists, those who are not like descendant of slaves, they're mm -hmm. like just nonchalant about it. They're just mm -hmm. like, ah, da, 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 da. oh, okay, cool, tourism. Oh, cool, take a picture. Oh, take a mm -hmm. selfie. And for someone else, it's a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. um, and we see this playing out in the diaspora where we've got people, some people who are like, you know, why don't the Africans create something for us? We Are we not mm -hmm. part of them still? Mm -hmm. um, so like this, these conversations are happening. What do you think that is? Do you think that we have been, I guess, as Africans in the diaspora, we have been empathetic enough about that experience? No, we haven't actually. It's funny actually because <laughs> now, now that we're talking about it, it's funny. I, I, I didn't think about it then. It was somewhere in my subconscious. So you have white people in this context, mm. sort of telling African Americans or sort of Caribbeans, oh get over slavery mm -hmm. and then also sometimes in an african context you also have africans telling social african-americans characters oh get over slavery it was so long ago um even though the effects the effects the, the effects are still being felt and the effects are still being felt in africa as well but we know we're not taught history so we mm -hmm. sort of think oh it, 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 it's so long ago just forget about it mm -hmm. But um, there is that sort of, sort of difference. And I mean, it's serious, but it's also, it's also comical. Um, and so I remember reading a, a blog post of someone who, I think his name is Tolu Talabi. I read, I read it his mm -hmm. many years ago when he went to Badagri, which is where, you know, the slave, where there's the door of the equivalent. It's sort of forts. We don't have, I don't think we have forts in Badagri, but the mm -hmm. equivalent of, sort of the door of no return, where the slaves were taken to Europe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people according to him anyway, some people were still living in the homes of former slave traders. 
And so they yeah. turned their homes into um, tourist spots, but they were still living there. So it'd be like, oh, to the left, this is where the space mm. were kept. To the right, oh, that's my sister's room. Shut the door, shut the door. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't know if, yeah. if it actually happened or if it was fictional. But I think that sort of levity that it's, it's treated with for people who live, mm. who live in African countries, like almost sort of you don't understand like the deep trauma that happened here. That is all sort mm. of, yeah, oh, this yeah. is, yeah, and that's just where they took people from. You know, it's, it's not... It's not something as weighty as it is for people that's who in the that's where who understand who understand better the weight of it. Yeah. So yeah, in, in the scene in Sankofa in the book, you know, the people who are from Bamana, you know, are sort of taking selfies and mm. <laughs> sort of that whereas in this context, I'm sort of thinking of other atrocities, how sort of like the Holocaust is remembered. Like you're not going to go to the Holocaust museum, <laughs> wherever you're from, whether you're Jewish, whether you're not Jewish. You're not going to go to a Holocaust museum and like sort and of be striking, yes, and be blasé about mm, it. Yeah, that is sort mm, of like mm. weight. That yeah. something heavy and weighty, yeah. weighty happened here. Um, That's amazing. I mean, I've read another book by you know one of my favorite writers, Maya Angelou, mm. um, and she described a similar situation mm-hmm. where she had, um, as an African American, first flew back to I don't know I think she went to Accra first and then Liberia mm. or where she was first um and that she was where she had, yeah. yeah she definitely went to Ghana and um that was probably her first trip there and mm. uh she knew that she had boots there somehow mm. but it was such um so she happened to be walking through the market and some market women just looked at her and started speaking in the local language, mm. you know, because they literally looked at her and they're like, you look like so-and-so's daughter, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was such an emotional, emotional mm-hmm. experience for her because they grabbed her by the arm. They're like, come with us. And they're like, you know, mm-hmm. they took her and they're like, you guys are probably related for all you mm-hmm. know. Um, so just even reading about that and that experience from someone who's been through it firsthand, actually made me realize sometimes as Africans or as continental Africans, let's mm-hmm. say, we don't really empathize as much, mm-hmm. but we're not really looking for other sides of the story, but maybe yeah. we should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. Love that. You know what? You've just reminded me, like when you travel home, when you've not been there for a long time, because we're based in the UK, mm-hmm. and you've not been for a long time and you go back, um, you guys sometimes get this weird feeling that you're home, but you're not really, because things also look different. Uh-oh. People looking at you different. You're, you're talking funny now. Mm. You're talking about these bougie things nobody cares about. Your concerns are not the same <laughs> all the way. You, you're, you're home, but something's mm, yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how, does it happen to you? Oh, I've definitely felt that. Let me give you another funny story. <laughs> but this one I deserve. That one I really deserve. You know? What did you do? Because I got home, I think, the first morning home. And they're like, okay, what do you want for breakfast? And I was like, oh, uh, I want granola for breakfast. And they're like, grahu? <laughs> I walked straight into that one. <laughs> I was like, oh. We have porridge. <laughs> Regular <laughs> porridge. And I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Grahu. Love it. Grawad. Grawad. <laughs> exactly. Bird food. Bird chicken feed. <laughs> what about you guys? 
Oh gosh, do I? Ha- I mean, for me, it's just been feeling somewhat disconnected. And it's just me in terms of not how people treated me, but it was just me myself feeling like it was so unfamiliar because my environment was unfamiliar as well. It changed so much. And I was just like, like life moved on without me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was left behind in a way. And now I have to learn new things. The slang has changed. I have to learn a new language. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not switched on to what people are switched on and you kind of like oh now what do I talk to these people about because we're not listening to the same music we're not mm. doing x y and z they don't care about the things I care about um so just having this weird I didn't enjoy it I didn't enjoy that part of the experience of feeling foreign at home mm. yeah I think the internet helps though I mm. think mm. and social media sort of helps I don't feel I mean I haven't been to Nigeria in two years but whenever I go I don't feel massively I don't feel disconnected I still sort of feel very much that it's home mm. my parents live there that also helps my parents live there my brother lives there um I think one thing that I do know that I miss is because I left Nigeria when I was 14 so I don't have as much of a network there so sort of you know how people have people I went to school with this is that and the other so I don't have as much of a network there like oh these are my uni friends these are my mm. secondary school friends these are my um and sometimes even the people that I went to secondary school and primary school with they have moved here as well so sometimes there is that sort of um, feeling of I have to to make new friends in my sort of age group uh-huh. I don't know, I think it helps sort of still having family there so I have sort of ready-made social groups to sort of slip mm. into um mm. yeah yeah that really helps that is cool so there's like this tension in the not just the book but I also feel like in real life where mm-hmm. Africans we are trying to find Africa's place in this modern world so we're not necessarily trying to be western mm-hmm. we're trying to find our own identity mm-hmm. in this new world right mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in but at the same time we're holding on to some things like mm-hmm. the religions that they brought to us or we measure mm-hmm. each other by these yardsticks that are not necessarily our own mm-hmm. the accent you're using how you're pronouncing your words mm-hmm. what proximity you have to white things you mm-hmm. know western things education the type of wealth that we see on tv and stuff like that um i mean i'm even thinking about how anna's dad changes his name mm-hmm. You know, so there's like on one side of us is like we're gonna say no to this this part of this modern world and we're going to say yes to these ones. Mm. How do we reconcile that for like this new this vision of Africa? We're talking about the visionaries, right? Mm. In 2021, like where are we at in our heads about who we are as Africans and our place in this world? Because mm. these people, the Pan-Africanists, a lot of them were, you know, murdered they've died you know what i mean mm. they're now Maybe a different outspoken. generation yeah. in our generation um those of us who are still here and who will probably be here for f- some more decades what's our place what are we thinking about what is the africa that we're trying to imagine and who are the leaders mm. <laughs> who are who are generations leaders i don't know i think we need to have more sort of com- cultural confidence mm-hmm. in the sense that our culture is sturdy enough to absorb things without being overpowered by them so you sort of mm. european people you know they don't think eating a curry makes them not british 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't they don't think that I mean there's so many words that the English language has absorbed, you know, khaki, mogu, mm. um sushi, pajama, you know, there's so you know? pajama, yeah, there's so many like it's a culture that, that feels confident enough to engage with the rest of the world, mm-hmm. take things from the rest of the world that serve you. And, you know, yet you still feel like your identity is not fractured. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is actually part of the legacy of colonialism that we feel that. So there's the whole thing about an African becomes detribalized if they learn how to drive a car. An African is no longer mm. a real African if they engage with certain aspects of Western technology. And we still, we still have that till, till today mm. where we feel like we can't take advantage of certain things or else it makes us not African. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. for example. And, and and Christianity in a sense, well, yes, I mean, you had Christians in Ethiopia for, you know, millennia. Um, mm-hmm. So Christianity wasn't brought to the African continent just by, you know, mm-hmm. just by European mm-hmm. missionaries. But like, I don't feel it makes me sort of any less African. Jesus was not a European, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of that um, learning that sort of, cultural confidence that if I say, if an African wants to build a jetpack and go to the moon, then it's an African thing because mm-hmm. an African is doing That's it. Awesome. You know, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know? I love it. Um, and to just sort of have that, that confidence, you know, technology is not an African. We've been innovating for centuries. We're not a static people. Amen. It's part exactly. of what Amen. the colonial people brought, that Africa is this unchanging unending it is not true we have had innovations in the way we cast metal you know you see mm-hmm. a lot of like the Benin brothers for example way ahead of anything they were doing with metal mm-hmm. in a European context we are innovators you know mm-hmm. we make things we transform things I think we need to have that that confidence we're not yeah. so to to go somewhere and get a good idea from them is not doesn't mean that you're slavishly imitating mm-hmm. that is how all innovation happens anybody can take from here and take from we need to have that sort of, of confidence that we are also China, eh? yeah we are also makers you know we are yeah. also people that can create um so yeah that's also um, that sort of cultural confidence um i love that i think that's what we need for moving so sort of moving forward yeah cultural confidence yeah yeah and just to add to you know what add what to what chigundu was saying i think one of our biggest points of cultural confidence as Africans today is I think our biggest export in the last at least decade or so is our music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay our music I mean to see it, it make it just fills my heart with pride seeing someone in the middle of Russia you know doing the Bobriski dance <laughs> and I'm like yo you know I mean you can go anywhere in like mm-hmm. in the middle of the US and just say hey do you know Guara Guara Eh? Jerusalem you know Jerusalem and all of that and what made me so proud recently was seeing I don't know which uh, music awards they were but uh, Burner Boy won an award it was the Grammys yeah Grammys and he introduced his mother onto stage and Mm. I don't know if you guys saw what his mom said what did she say it was so like oh my god it was just like okay she sent a message to everyone watching all the Africans around the diaspora Whatever you do, wherever you go, just remember you're African. Mm. And that was just so emotional. That was just so deep and so strong. So I feel like, you know, that unapologeticness of being ourselves, especially Mm. with our music, it's infectious. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it goes miles and it speaks leaps and bounds. So I feel like we need to transfer that same confidence onto other aspects of our lives, you know? And, you know, speaking about music. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> you My can dad. sing, ma'am. So mm-hmm. if you don't know, she's multi-talented. You're gifted <laughs> and you're an amazing singer. Honestly, thank you. On the on the 4th of June, that's Friday. So you're releasing a video for Good Soil. Mm-hmm. It gave me chills. Thank you. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful video. Everyone is looking so good. I saw some <laughs> people that I recognized, but I wasn't sure who. Is there anybody in there that in the video that maybe you might want to mention? Yeah, so Christine Uhurungu is in it. She's mm-hmm. an Olympian. She's one um she's a 400 meter runner, sprinter. Wow. Very well garlanded. Um, you know, LMS is in it. The poet yeah. Margaret Busby, the publisher Ella Ofrey. Um, yeah, lots of great people are in it, and also people who are not may not be known, but they're doing incredible work. So my friends who are doctors, they've been on the front line of the whole mm. um, pandemic. Doctor mm. Oge Iloze, Doctor Emma. Um, Yinka, yeah. Yinka Bolaho, also a doctor. There's, there's so many people, my friends who are architects. Um, because, yeah, we're not just, you know, we, we are, we, not we, do, we do everything. We do everything. We do, we do yeah. everything, you know. Mm. And we're not limited to any field, to excelling in any field. Um, yeah. I have like, my friend, Oban Sube, he's a QC, he's a lawyer. Um, wow. My sister, Delici, she's a lawyer, she's in it. Um, so, yeah. I love that this is like a soundtrack to the book. Mm-hmm. It's just, I love that. You should, this is going to be a thing. It's so cool. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's better be a thing. So it's going to be on YouTube, on your channel. Mm-hmm. So everyone, please check it out. Um, you're going to love it. Can you tell us a little bit about the song and how it relates to the book? Yeah, I mean, so my friend is actually the one, Simeon, he mentioned this and he said, why don't you release a song with your next book? And I just thought, uh, I haven't, I don't have anything. I so said, I do write music, but I was like, I don't have anything sort of relevant to some of the themes in the book. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the pandemic struck, so we all had a lot more time on our hands. <laughs> um, and so I sort of had time to think about it. And it was Chadwick Boseman's death, actually, that was really the, the stimulus. I've been thinking about writing a song, but sort of when he died and sort of seeing what he meant for the culture and seeing what he meant to Black people sort of all around the world, on the continent, everywhere. And especially in his role with Black Panther and sort of celebrating sort of African history, pride, Black history, legacy, all of that. Um, and so, yes, it made me sort of want to write this song, sort of Good Soil. Um, and that's sort of what... Anna is sort of going back to rediscover her own history, the soil that she comes from. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how the, the song Love it. Soil Love it. The way, the way this podcast tagline was almost Daughters of the Soil. <laughs> it was. Daughters of the was. Good Soil. <laughs> so, 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 you know what? I, I think a year on, we've just come back to the right place. And, mm-hmm. you know, come back in the circle. Yeah. Love know, it. Love it. Circle. And you know what? Um, for everyone listening to this podcast, I mean, during the break, you might have heard an expert excerpt of the song. And we're going to um, put links in our bio and with this episode to the song and the video once it's released. So you can go and check it out. You have no excuse. <laughs> You've been fed. <laughs> 
I, indeed, indeed. Thank you so much for being with us, Chibundu. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you? Where you can they find you all over? can find me on Instagram at chibundu.onuzo, on Twitter the same, on YouTube at chibundu.onuzo. But most importantly, you can find me in my books. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> Three books. Yes. If you don't know what you're buying people for birthdays and Christmas, you're sorted. Mm-hmm. It's easy. It's easy. I will put links everywhere. So if you think you're a little confused, you don't know what you're doing, just check out the show notes, check out our social media, and get yourself a copy of Sankofa. Look at that video. It's really beautiful. I have a thing for like colorful things. The book is colorful, the video is colorful. I mean, Africans mm-hmm. do that. We we know how to carry <laughs> colors, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's such a good vibe, it's such good energy. Um, it gave me like it could be like the soundtrack to like an epic movie or something kind of energy. That's what it gave me. Um, and you have an amazing voice as well. Thank you. So, so. so here's putting it also out there that this book gets translated into a movie. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And it already has a yes. soundtrack as well. Yes, now. the soundtrack is ready. It's easy. What Disney, what is this? Why are wasting time? Wake up, wake up. Netflix, okay. come back. <laughs> yes love it so thank you so much for being with us um you know where to find the diasporadicals on instagram at diasporadicals pod on twitter diasporadicals um any last words before we go uh aside from making sure you read the books buy the books all three of them there are three of them and listen to the the song what else are you going to be doing what are you going to be up to any other exciting oh i have an event on july the second with Mm -hmm. me Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, so we'll nice. have some music and readings and all of that. Lovely. So, we'll put we'll put yes. a link in as well so they can yes. find you. July second. See you online. Yes. yes. Wonderful. All right. And with that, we're gonna bid you adieu.